Joshua chapter 12. And, but go back to chapter 11, verses 33 through 36 as a, as a recap. Because as you see in Romans 12, it says, therefore. So it's tying into something previous. Remember how Paul has just finished by saying, all oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor. Who has ever given to God that God should repay him. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. As he, in the middle of this letter, has broken into this praise and this worship of God, he then from that continues on in this letter and says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now we're going to stop here, and we're going to take some time to really break this down. It's a very familiar passage. Most of us could probably quote it, because we've been learning to memorize this passage for a while, and it's a good one to have memorized. But I want to deal with, what is Paul saying? And by the way, tonight in this study, I've designed this to ask you questions, and expecting you to do some answering here as well. So, um, but... In view of God's mercy, what does that mean? Why is Paul saying, in view of God's mercy? Remember, it's tied in with where he's just left off. But what, why is God saying that we need to lay ourselves as living sacrifices on the altar, if you will, in view of God's mercy? Considering who he is. Considering who he is. Well, it's, it's all about him. It's not about us. We're only here by his mercy. <laughs> right. Isn't that what he just said? It's all for him, through him, about him. This is, how many of you, again, you've heard me ask this question a bunch. How many of you had to say whether or not you're going to be born? None of us. This is by God's choice and God's design. Yet, he's doing something in this world that the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, that he's actually demonstrating through saving us, through the church, he's demonstrating part of who he is in his gloriousness, if you will, to the heavenly realms, the spiritual authorities in the heavenly realms. You're on a much bigger stage than just living your life before men here on the earth. The angels and the demons are watching what he's doing in and through us, and it's for his glory. And one day, when time comes to an end here on this earth, he's going to reward us for letting him use us for his purposes. And that's why Jesus said, those of you that have given up families and homes and, and children and stuff like that for the cause of the kingdom will receive a hundred times as much in the life to come. And for years, the story of Job has always bothered me a little bit where you know his whole family was destroyed. and, and, and But at the end of the story of Job, later in his life, he what? He got a new wife and a bunch more kids and twice as many as he had before. But as good as that may or may not be, I know myself, if I were to lose Becky and my kids, and then you give me a new wife and twice as many kids, I still would miss those other kids, right? But I've come to realize as I've been studying the scripture a little bit longer, that's a picture of what's really going to be happening in heaven. It's just a taste. Jesus said he's going to repay us for as much as we've been willing to give up for his kingdom and for his sake. Not living for this world as we're about to see. He will pay us a hundred times as much in the life to come, he says. The problem is, is most of us still want to live for now. What's in it for me? And know what the sad thing is, isn't that how we go looking for churches? What's in it for me? Does it have a ministry for me and my family and my kids? And What's in it for me? And the sad thing is, is we're missing out. Paul says, this is, as you just touched on, it's all about him. It's all about him. Keep going. What are some other ways that we can say in view of God's mercy? Keep in mind, what is mercy? 
It has compassion. Been, has not been earned. It's different. Mercy is giving a second chance when you don't deserve it. Right. Compassion is wanting to help. And, and grace, as we know, is getting something we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Yeah, exactly. And I put it down in my notes in this way. He chose to create you. You chose to rebel and reject him as God. We all have turned away. We all have spit in his face, if you will. He had every right to destroy you. Yet, he paid your penalty so that you could be forgiven. In view of the fact that he created you, you rejected him, he still paid the price for your sin, called you to a relationship with him. In view of his mercy, in view of his mercy, we need to live on a daily basis, as you're about to see, with an attitude that says, it's not about me, it's about you. Now, if you are like every one of us, that's going to be a daily, if not three or four times a day thing, to realign your mind. We know it's true. You don't want to sit there and say, well, I disagree. You can't argue with that. Yet, we do struggle with it, don't we? We kind of want the things the way we want them. Kind of a deal. So, I have one more possible way to look at in view of God's <coughs> Thinking about the next phrase where it says, offer your bodies mm -hmm. as a living sacrifice. We can offer our bodies to God or our whole selves to God as a living sacrifice knowing he's a merciful God and he's not going to destroy us. We can lay ourselves on that altar and know he's not going to destroy us with this consuming fire. So you're taking it to the future tense. Yes, absolutely. So you, instead of saying, which is, which is good, I like that. If you have God mercy has a past tense and a future tense. And current, because we're all, everybody struggles all the time. You know, it's a rare, rare event when so you what you're, have a struggle going on. So what you're saying then is, even if I've blown it, yesterday or today, I can still offer myself in view of God's mercy. Absolutely. I like that. That's good. Or not even just that you've blown it. You know that you can offer yourself to Him without fear. Or if you cast out all fear, He will be merciful. Absolutely. Because that's who He is. Yep. That's good. Then it goes on to say, don't conform to the pattern of this world. What is that? How would you sum up the pattern of this world? Self. Self. Isn't that pretty much what it is? Yeah. Me first. Yeah. I was, I'm teaching Nicole and Becky is as well to drive. And so today I went to preach at, at Central Baptist and I had Nicole drive for me. And, uh, um, and now that, since I've had a hole in one, I don't have to drive my own car. I can, I can have my own driver. But, but what happens is... is uh, um, Just where I was there. Exactly. So what happens is... is uh, as she was changing from one lane to the next, there was this car behind her wanting to go, and she's waiting to get over from the left lane to the right lane of this two-lane road. And she didn't do a real good job of getting over. She thought she was over, but she wasn't, so she's kind of in between the two. And boy, this person just laid on the horn. And she gets all tense, you know, and, you know, and, and I had to just tell her, you're fine, we don't, just, you'll get over. But that lady was in such a hurry. The fact that it was taking her an extra second to get over was enough for that lady behind her to lay on the horn like, what are you doing holding me up? But that's the pattern of this world. But look at the commercials that we have today. Obey your thirst. You deserve a break today. Have it your way. Think about it. There's, there's, a, new, there's a new makeup yeah. one that's got Ellen DeGeneres on it. Oh, yeah. Where she says, inner beauty is great, but outer beauty is even better. Yeah. Oh, uh -huh. like, 
think too, if we if we were to able to surrender it all, what would be left to work with? Right. I mean, God right. uses us and our false, you know, our failings to help other people that are struggling in certain. When we get through something, He always will use that. And not that He's shaping you through the surrendering. Yeah. If He's done shaping you, you're gonna no, no, you'll well, be gone. Yeah, you'll be done. Right. You'll well, be done. It's all part of relationship. Yeah. Right? If that's all it was, if it was a Okay, yeah. now you're exactly what I want you to be. Why are we still here? And because it actually is a moment moment thing, I, I'll just give a quick example of today. My daughter asked if I wanted to go to Orlando with them. They were going to a doctor's appointment with the children, and oftentimes I think, oh, I can go and help, right? But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, oh, I'm just going to have this nice, pleasant conversation with her for an hour, right? Mm -hmm. Well, she hands me four applications with all the children for the pediatrician, you know, <laughs> forms, right? So here we go, signing forms, signing forms. Then she says, oh my goodness, you know what, I think I left 15 minutes later than da-da-da-da-da. So now we already know we're going to be 15 minutes late for the appointment. Okay, so 15 minutes late for the appointment, I'm doing the forms. And then she looks at a gas tank and she says, oh my goodness, we're out of gas. <laughs> now I kid you not, oh, we yeah. get there. She gets in there, she finds out that only one of the children can have the appointment, so we have this little disappointment, then we've driven an hour and 15 minutes, and then I'm out in the car thinking, oh, we better go to the gas station, we're going to be out of gas, try to start the car, and the car is out of gas. So you know what? Tension, 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 tension. Did I get into the room? Absolutely, I did not. I just wallowed in the tension. And it wasn't until the end of the day when I got home and she took the children then to baseball practice that I just said, Lord, I've not surrendered this to you and I know and I have been miserable and I have made her miserable and I know you've already forgiven me. So I write my daughter a little note, kind of that's not nice to just write a little note and say, please forgive <laughs> me because I was so miserable. But it's hour to hour, moment to moment. It's more than surrender, though. It's dependence. Yes. Do you make sure you understand that? Surrender is giving up. Dependence is receiving. Mm -hmm. Only you can do it. It's obedience. It's walking in obedience when He speaks after you've given up your will. It's also the yielding, and there's humility involved. And you're going to see that as we continue on now in this in this study here. You know, this laying ourselves on the altar, and, and it says in the renewing of your mind, in the Greek that's actually a daily renewing. It's a continual renewing of your mind. Alright? So, oh, by the way, before we even get to chapter, verse 3, look what it says at the end of verse 2. Then, you'll be able to do what? I mean, is this the same guy that just said up in the end of chapter 11, how unsearchable his judgments, his paths beyond tracing out? Who's known the mind of the Lord? How Paul goes from saying, you're never going to figure him out. But if you lay yourself on the altar, he will show you what his will is for today. I'm going to say that again. If you're willing to lay yourself on the altar on a daily basis, a continual basis, Lord, it's not about me, it's about you. What you have in mind, I will do. He will show you what he wants you to do today. He moves from the unknowable to the one who leads you. But see, the problem with most of us is this. We want him to give us direction so that we can go do it. Hmm. I, I remember one time when I was up in Mississippi and, and was going to this, trying to find this furniture factory for this one pastor that I was working for at the time. And, and uh, he told us, he said, when you get into this little town called Hoka, Mississippi, outside of Tupelo, he said, uh, 
when, when you get into the little town, he said, you go to a gas station, and he said, my brother works there, he'll give you directions to the furniture factory. So I do. I pulled into this little town of Holcomb, Mississippi. I said, hey, Buford sent us. He said, oh, yeah, here's how you go. And this is the directions he gave us. You head down the pavement until it stops. And you take it left on the dirt road. Going to go down about a mile or two, there'll be a dog sitting. Trust me, the dog will be there. <laughs> Turn left at the dog. I'm not kidding you. And I then said, i tell you what. Is there somebody who could jump in the car with us and show us? How to get there? Because there's a big difference between you giving me directions and me trying to do it and you getting in the car with me and showing me the way. The relationship you have with the Lord is not that He'll give you directions and then you go do them on your own. He is in you. He will lead you. He will guide you. It's going to be a daily thing. Too many of us say, Lord, what is your will? Thinking He's going to give us the map quest, if you will. The directions. And then we're to go follow it. No. He's going to take you a step at a time. Think about Philip. He's led by the Spirit to leave Samaria, head down the desert road to go from Jerusalem to Gaza. As he was on his way to Gaza, the Spirit says, go over to the chariot. As he went over to the chariot, he leads the guy to faith in the Lord, and then he baptized him, and as he comes out of the water, he's now in Hazardous. Never makes it to Gaza. It's as he was on his way, God leads and guides. And so that's what I want you to understand is don't look at the will of God as God just tell me and I'll do it. The will of God is he wants to walk you through it a step at a time. And it makes a big, big difference. All right, so now, verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you are, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many, I'm going to say, parts, uh, and these, these parts do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each part belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Now, we really need to take some time to break this next section down because there's some really neat stuff here, but we're going to miss it if you read it too fast. Why does Paul start off by saying, for by the grace given me, I say? This will help you with a, with a question that's coming up later on if you can get this. Why does Paul say, for the grace given me, I say to you? He's understanding it himself. He's not saying, I'm saying this, right? He's relaying. He's relaying a message. By the grace given me. In other words, God had gifted him. That, that word grace has the word gift in it as well. God had gifted him, called him to be a teacher and a preacher, an apostle, if you will. One sent by God to teach the word. Understanding that I'm doing what God has asked me to do, and so it's actually God doing it through me, I say these things. In other words, he's not saying, I, Paul, who am over you, you need to listen to me. Because he's about to say what? Don't think, so. Don't think of yourself too highly of yourself. It would be really funny to have say, okay guys, I'm Paul and I'm in charge, so I say to you, don't think highly of yourself. <laughs> Paul understood, for you to grasp what I'm about to say, I have to word this this way. Because of the fact that God has given me this responsibility, God is saying through me to you, don't think more highly of yourself. Alright? Is there an element there too of Paul referring to his life 
before he was converted, where he was the proud Jewish leader. Definitely. You know, yeah. Definitely. Saying, That's I in used there. to be that guy. Right. 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 Don't think too highly of like yes. Pretty highly. Yeah. He was so obedient in the laws. Right. Yeah. And look how far I had to fall to get it. Exactly. <laughs> All right. I was kind of super Jew. You know what's sad? As I travel around in churches, I see people jockeying for position. Um, that's, um, a lot. I see people. Ah, praise God! I know Ken's heart. He was ordained as a deacon Sunday. But Ken understands that that doesn't mean he gets a special parking space. Ken's been, been a, being a deacon for a while. The church just recognized it. Do you understand? Yes. But unfortunately, there are those who take that title of deacon, and they wear the badge. I mean, I, I go to the churches. I see them. They got the badge. It says deacon. Like they're somebody important. That's not the whole idea. And then he goes, go ahead. Your badge is off his side. Sure, that's right. right. That's right. Or even slave. Slaves. You know, that's right. But then, but now look closely at somebody says, don't think of yourself more highly than you are, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. And then he goes on and talks about how different parts, and we don't have the same responsibility. I'm going to get back to that. But look at verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. A man's gift is prophesying. Let him use it in proportion to his faith. Now, this is usually skipped over, and I really feel like God wanted us to deal with this, this one section right here. What does it mean to use your gift in proportion to your faith? Because if you can get this, you'll understand what Paul was doing at the very beginning of this. What does it mean? Go ahead. Well, I'm just going to say, I realize that God gave us our faith. So our faith can be huge because he gave it to us. So I'm just going to say the proportion can be very great. Well, it, it could be many things, but that's not quite what he's talking about here. It's a good guess. It's a good guess. He says, let me read this verse again. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. In other words, each of us have different responsibilities in the kingdom of God. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. Now it's not, when we hear that word faith, we think salvation. It's not tied to your salvation. No. What's it talking about here? Faith means that God has called him to do. Right. Say it again. Um, in proportion to what he believes that God has called him to do. You're like, very close. If, if I have a gift, if, if, and I'm operating in that gift, then I have to do it in accordance to what the faith part of it is, what I believe God's calling me to do. And, 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 and Exactly, and him doing it through you. Right. So yeah. you're exercising your gift, keeping your eyes on him. him. Right. Do you see it? This is what it's talking about. You about to say something, Chris? Right yeah, along that line? That, yeah, yeah. Turn it around the other way. It's God working through you in order to allow Him to do that. You have to exercise your faith and letting Him have the control. That's it. This is a very. It's, it's kind of hard in our English language to put this into words. The best way I can put it into words, words is this: to use our gift in this way is to do what God has called and gifted us to do, only in as much as we trust Him to do it through us. This way, the focus is on God and not on us as we exercise our gifts. So when I come to teach you the Word of God, I come trusting that God is going to be doing it, not me coming to show you how much knowledge I have. Well, and that He's prepared the hearts in advance and that people are going to hear what they need to hear from Him and it's not you imparting. You're just saying what He wants and He's going to interpret to each of us as we need it. Now, with that in mind, 
Notice how that will take away any focus on you as you do whatever it is you do, as you deacon, as you serve. How many people today get upset because someone didn't notice that they exercised their gift? Well, that's the sober judgment thing. Yeah, if we get a little high when someone says, you are just an angel. I don't know what I'd do without you. You just, you know. And every day she hears that. And, 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 every, and I'm not, you know, every day. And, but you know what? It gives me an opportunity then, you know, because I used to be like. Pat you know, <laughs> yourself on the back. Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's like that's the opportunity to say, you know, the Lord has put us two together. There's a reason. Yes. And that. You know, and so you take that opportunity, but the sober judgment, right, you know, when you go home and you're driving home at night and say, you know, I have five people call me an angel today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the sober thing. That's exactly the sober it. Thing. So you know what's so cool is when, when you're in a, in a body of believers and everyone's operating in their gifts that God's given to them, it's like if you're on assembly line and you're putting hamburgers together and somebody's putting the lettuce and somebody's putting the cheese and this one's... And and the, the amount of work, I mean, it's just such a beautiful picture when we're all operating in our gifts and we're not stumbling. Because if we have to go over and, and that person has to be, you know, reprimanded or has to be, you know, Matthew 15, 18, I and mean, there's so many stepping stones that people trip over that keeps us from doing what God's called us to do. Yep. Well, and I, I like your assembly line picture, you know. It, it, when you have that, a lot gets done, and you didn't do that much. You just did your one little part. And that's a very, very important thing. I mean, a lot of times when I travel around, I make sure people understand, look, you guys are even able to hear me because there's somebody in that sound room mm-hmm. who's done all the work to make sure that the sound, even with you just doing what you do with the recording so people can hear it on the web. People don't realize they're <laughs> pattern on the back too but, uh, but, the thing is, but, but a lot of time we don't even realize these types of things but it, you know what if we're doing it with the right back it doesn't matter if people notice or not it really doesn't matter if people can, notice or not and it starts to get to the point where you hope they don't because that means you did your job that much better yes you did yes. it for him and only him and he's the only one that got the, the, the acknowledgement now I'm going to take this though another step he said that all of us Say it again. All of us have a part in God's plan for what he's doing in the world and in the church. Here's where I really feel like I need to take a little bit of time, though, to clarify. And the fact that we're all from different churches is a good thing. Too often we try to interpret this as how we can apply it in our local church. We tie it into serving on committees or whatever. And I've come to realize over the years that God will have you use your gifts in the body, in the local congregation setting at a time or two, but this is actually even more the universal church and and, and sharing with people out at a breakfast place. You know what I'm saying? Or as you go, wherever you are, God's gifted you to do things, and we're about to get to a list of them and all, and it talks about showing hospitality and these types of things. Don't think when you read this, well, how can I use my gift in our local congregation inside the church walls? You're going to miss out on so much that God wants to do. Because I don't think God is as interested in all the programs in our churches that we, than we think he is. And too many of us spend most of our time running Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday to the church building to prop up the programs and the 
stuff happening at the church. Don't hear me wrong. There are things that are happening there that are valuable and God's using them. But I also know that a lost world is out there not even getting touched with the good news of who Jesus is because we're too busy running to the church. And so when you look at God using you and the gifts he's given you, don't automatically assume that it's inside the walls of your congregation and your local church. You understand? Yes. Understand that he wants to use you all the time. As, as publicized as the curve Jabez became, increase my boundaries means get outside the four walls and increase it to the person at the, in the grocery line or you know, wherever. Yeah. It's everywhere you go. We take him with us. Mm-hmm. So let me give you a couple of verses I want you to look to here. Put a bookmark in Romans 12. Go to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Oh, chapter 4 of 1 Peter, verses 10 and 11. And somebody, once you think everybody's pretty much got there, read that good and loud for us. And you'll see again this, in using it in proportion to your faith. And again, this dependence on God. For that phrase, in proportion to your faith, change it in your Bible, in your minds, to according to your dependence on God. Isn't that what your faith is? My faith for salvation is my dependence on God for my salvation. So change that phrase, in proportion to your faith, to in your mind, according to your dependence on God. You should use whatever you gift you've been given according to your dependence on God. Okay? Someone want to read verses 10 and 11 of chapter 4? Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, to serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You see it? Whatever you do, do it depending on him to be the actual one doing it, and he'll be the one doing it through you. Alright? Then you ever heard people, passage the Bible talk about, do your work as unto the Lord? That's what it will do. Someone, go to Colossians chapter 1. Verses 28 and 29. Somebody else want to read for us. Verses 28 and 29 of Colossians 1. You see that? Amen. Paul says, I labor. But whose power is he laboring with? With God's. Colossians 1, 28 and 29. I love how you read that, Vern. Paul says, I labor, but I do it with all his energy or with his might, with his power. I'm not resting in my own strength. Ephesians 6, 12 says the same thing. Mm-hmm. Be strong in the Lord and the, the strength of his might. That's right. How many times do we do something hoping to serve God and then we sit back and judge whether or not we did it right? You ever done that? Mm-hmm. You ever wondered if you did, if you, maybe I should have said this or oh, maybe I should have brought him two gallons of milk instead of one. You know what I'm saying? Whatever it is we're, are, we're doing, we then sit back and we judge whether or not we did it right. Folks, if you're doing it according to the 
proportion of your faith with dependence on Him. Do whatever it is you believe He's laid in your heart to do and trust the results to Him. I did what I believe He asked me to do. I'm going to leave the results to Him. We always want instant gratification. That's part of this pattern of this world. We want results right now. You know? But if we're going to go that way, then you're going to say that Peter has to be better than Jesus at preaching. Right? Because at the end of three years, there were 120 who were believers. Maybe 500, because he appeared to 500, Paul says, uh, on the mountain in Galilee. Peter had 3,000 saved when he preached in one, one afternoon. So if you're going to go by the instant results and whether or not you got the pat on the back or whether or not you saw anything come out of it, you're going to be really miserable. You depend on Him. He's going to do it. I did what He asked me to do. I feel good. He did it. And I leave the results to Him. It goes back and peace is the reward. The peace that you get from that. It goes back to the works mentality. If I do more, it's better. Nope. I found you do less, more gets accomplished. Yeah. But then it goes back to your message about the talents as well. I mean, that's a... a he gave one five, another two, and another one. Don't try to figure out if you're five or two or one. Just don't compare yourself. That's why he told us five, two, and one. You'll never know if you're a five or a two or a one, but you do know enough to know one's going to be a five, one's going to be a two, one's going to be a one. I don't have to compare myself to anybody else. But unfortunately in the church we said if you work a little harder, you could be a five. Or so and so is a five. Why aren't you a five too? And just be who it is God's called you to be and do. And be happy with it. Yeah. And, and <laughs> the match. I mean, to think that we have all the power of Jesus Christ in us. So whether we're a five two or one or whatever we are, we have all the power of well, Jesus Christ. Well, make it two. <laughs> right. The resurrection right. power in us. It's amazing. All right. Now I'm going to read to you this next section now in chapter twelve, verses nine to the end of the chapter. And I want you to listen closely to how it's worded. But I'm going to give you a totally different way of looking at this list when I'm done reading it. And I really want you to hear what I'd say. It's going to make this whole list make a whole lot more sense. Alright? Paul then goes on and says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I want you to, we're going to, I'm going to read this again now, but now I want you to picture this on a scroll, if you will, or on a plaque as a list of ten commandments, or however many there are. And I'm doing this for a reason, alright? You know, we've always seen the ten commandments, thou shalt love the Lord your God, you know, have no other idols, uh, thou shalt not commit adultery. All the, the, the short, sweet instructions, correct? Read it with me again. Picture this on a plaque like a ten commandments, alright? Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. 
Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Now we're going to stop there for now, but I read it to you that way for a reason. What I've come to understand is, is passages like this are much better understood as a Christian if we can see them in the same way that a lost person needs to see the law. Alright, we dealt with this in our study of Romans. What was the purpose of God's law? Thou shalt, thou shalt not, shalt not. Why did he give us those commandments? To show us that we couldn't do it, right? The purpose of the law was to show us we're incapable of doing it. Once you realize you couldn't keep the law, the law had done its job. It was a schoolmaster to show you your need for Jesus. Then you said, I can't do this. Jesus, if I'm going to be righteous, you have to give it to me. I believe you live this way. God punished you instead of me. Would you please give me salvation? I accept your forgiveness. And you were saved, right? Amen. Too many of us don't understand that in the same way in which we received Christ, I can't do it, you have to do it, is how we have to walk in Him. And too many of us have set out to go and try to be this person. Have you not tried to be this person? How'd that work out for you? You didn't, you didn't do too good, did you? And then you fail like a failure. But here's what I want you to understand is, these commands in the New Testament given to the church are just like the law. You, apart from Christ, John 15, 5, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. This is God showing what He wants to accomplish through you, but only this will happen when you yield yourself to Him. As you set out, we should seek to do these things. But you need to do them with the mindset that says, God, I don't want to show hospitality. Because if I show hospitality, I can't run around my house in my underwear. Right? We, we want our house comfortable. If we open up our house to somebody else, it's going to totally change our, our life. I'll be honest with you. We have a dog. It's, I'm not a dog person. My wife and my kids love the dog. I wasn't really excited about the dog because I knew it was going to change my life. You know, what are we going to do when we go to travel or someone fed the dog? And, oh, the dog, did the dog do that? Who's going to clean it up? But here's what I want you to understand. When it comes to these things in the scriptures that you aren't real good at, you have, not saying, well, I don't have to do that. No, you do. These are commands of the Lord. But you have to come to them and say, all right, Lord, I can't do this. But you will and can through me, and I believe you will. Therefore, I'm going to, resting in your grace... Live according to what he says here. Do you understand? If you try to do this on your own, you're going to be beating yourself up till Jesus comes back. Because you won't do it. Many a time as a pastor, I've done these weddings, and of course the couples want 1 Corinthians 13 read at their wedding. You know, love is patient, love is kind, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it doesn't boast, doesn't rejoice in evil, but rejoices in the truth. You know, we could go on. And I tell these couples, you know, I'll read it. It'll be real pretty, but it's a waste of time. 
because neither one of you can do this unless you know Jesus. And not only that, you still can't do it unless you know how to yield yourself to the Jesus in you because this looks wonderful, sounds good, you can put it on a plaque in your kitchen, but you're going to still fight each other and end up in divorce unless you understand that apart from Christ doing this through you, you can't do these things. And actually, if you read that passage, it's more love is patient. God is patient. Yes. It's all about God. It's not about man to man. We can't do man to man unless we've got man to God first. That's exactly right. Because God is love. Amen. Amen. Well, like you said in an earlier message, when you really didn't want to forgive someone who offended you, and you really, really, that was in total opposition to your flesh. But as soon as you made the step, and you went in that direction, and you uttered those words, then God did the rest of it. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. So when you look at this list, I don't want you to skip over this list. This is what God's looking to accomplish in and through you. This is what it means to be totally dependent on Him. But can anybody give me, what is a, a, a one thread that ties all these commands together? There's something, love, love but keep going. They're, they're, uh, go a little bit deeper than just saying love. It looks to me like all of these are one another commands dealing with other people. Obedience? Obedience, Becky's close. It's, it, it's dealing man. Yeah. It's self-sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Having to live with yeah. other people. It's having to live with other people. It's self-sacrifice. It's a selflessness due to a complete trust in the love of God already proven and given to us through Jesus Christ. When you really allow the truth of what we've been studying in this book of Romans and this gift of salvation that you've been given, when you let that truth really sink in that it's not about you and it's all about Him and I don't deserve it, but He did a wonderful thing for me. When this really sinks in, you will become an individual who it's not a hard thing for you to think of other people first because you are totally satisfied. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Look at verses 1 through 4. Now some of your translations will say if, some of your translations will say since, it means the same thing. Alright? If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves, each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Look at verse 2 again. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look to your own interests, but also the interests of others. For too long we have read verse 2 and set out to try to live verse 2, and we fall flat on our face. But... The key to verse 2 is verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if there's any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with His Spirit, if any tenderness compassion, then set out. You can't go give the love of God until you've received it. Until you receive it, you can't give it. Because you don't got it to give. And many of us 
who have been born again, who have been given God's love, we haven't fully received it yet. And we still think we're trying to earn it. I myself have been that way for a long time. I know I'm going to heaven, but I sure wish he'd be pleased with me. You know, I, I sure like him to like me more because I'm not doing good enough. And I've never fully received his love. But as I begin to receive his love, it's easier for me to give it because now I've got it to give. If you were a gazillionaire when it came to money and I stole a thousand dollars from you, probably wouldn't bother you much. Why? You got plenty. Probably wouldn't even notice. Right? It's nothing to lose a thousand. The Bible says that God has poured out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that he's given us. If God's for us, who can be against us? If he who did not spare his own son while we were his enemies did this for us while we were his enemies, how much more shall we be saved from his wrath through his life? God's word has been saying to us all along, why do you still think you have to earn it? Stop trying to do it. Receive it. Think of yourself in sober judgment with the measure of grace that you've been given. Do what it is He's asked you to do, trusting that He's going to do it. And so folks, when, when you really understand, when the love of God really starts to sink in, and you understand you're a gazillionaire when it comes to the love of God, because the Bible says nothing will separate you from His love. Okay. And, and that whole list, Paul tried to think of anything he could think of. Life, death, demons, angels, anything in all creation, nothing can separate you from the love of God. When that really sinks in, it's easy for you to give up the parking space. It's easy for you to have someone talk bad about you and even though it was wrong and it doesn't bother you. That's why Paul can sit in prison and wrote in Philippians chapter 1 and say, there are people out there right now who are preaching the gospel in hopes to make me look bad. That doesn't matter. Christ is being preached. I'm good. I don't know if you remember back at FBI, a lot of years ago I shared the illustration with my nephew Corey while they were still here before they moved to Michigan of handing him this candy jar mm -hmm. and explaining to him that it was his candy jar, but it's actually mine, but I'm giving it to him and uh, it'll never run out. I promise you it'll never run out. And he said, all right. And I said, okay, now I want you to take your candy and pass it out around people in the congregation, remember? Mm -hmm. And as he did, I said, okay, Corey, I gave you all this candy. It started getting less and less. Does that bother you? Corey's answer was awesome. He said, no, you said it wouldn't run out. And then what he didn't know was under the pew, I had this huge <laughs> bag of candy, which was his. You're able to give it when you know it's never going to run out. The reason why most of us have a hard time loving people is we haven't yet fully received the love of God. You know, when I really let God's love envelop me, and I feel like Becky doesn't show me the respect that I deserve, or if I really, I'm okay in the love of God, it's not going to offend me. Why? Because I'm good. I'm able to love her. You know what I mean? What does he say? What he said in the Romans there? They're hungry for you. Why, is it, why, are able, why are we able to do that? Because we know God's going to avenge. It's all on Him. He's got it. God has it. I'm good. So if you have any encouragement for me tonight with Christ, if any fellowship with His Spirit, if any comfort from His love, if any tenderness and compassion which only come from Him, then set out to look toward others. So your instructions tonight are not to go think of others first. That'd be taking the wrong step, wouldn't it? Seek first the kingdom of heaven. Seek first the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to challenge you to go and spend some time alone with the Father and let Him love you. Mm 
go let him tell you how much he loves you. You go back to Romans chapter 5 and Romans chapter 8 and you alone sit and read and meditate and listen to Romans chapter 5 and Romans chapter 8 and let God love on you. Oh, and by the way, when that really sinks in, you won't even have to work at loving others. It's just going to happen. It's just going to happen. You want to add something there? You had that look on your face. All right. Other than I don't, I don't want to disrespect you. <laughs> she says she doesn't want to disrespect me. No, you don't. I just, I use that wonderful illustration because it never happens. Come on, that. <laughs> that was great. You see, we've been setting out to go do the second part first. We missed it. It goes back to works. It goes back to works. Go receive the love of God. Now, I'm going to give you another challenge. When you go and spend time with him in Romans 5 and Romans 8, bring a notepad and listen for God to tell you something. Listen, expecting God to speak, and when he does, write it down. Write it down. And then spend some time thanking him for what it is that he showed you. We're going to get into that in more detail in the weeks to come, but I'm really starting to understand the importance of listening prayer. Most of us pray a little. Very few of us really understand what prayer is. Many of us feel guilty because we don't pray enough. I don't want it to turn into any kind of a law thing, so don't hurt it that way. But I'm starting to learn the value of listening prayer. Where we actually go and spend time quietly <laughs> expecting God to speak. And He does. But you need to bring something to write down because if you're like me, we think, oh, that's neat. And then we forget. You need to write it down. Blessings journal. Yep, blessings journal. Anybody want to add anything before we wrap up? We're going to do one last thing. Go back to Romans 12. Understanding what we've just seen, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, reads a whole lot differently now, doesn't it? Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's love. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. You know, we always say, I want to worship Him. Just trust Him. Just trust Him. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to know what His will is. You see, we've always read that chapter 12, 1 and 2 as you need to go lay yourself on the altar. Oh, okay, get on the altar again. No, we've missed it. In view of God's mercy. Let his love sink in first. Laying on the altar. Why did it appear that Isaac didn't struggle? Why did it appear, as we read the story of Abraham and Isaac, Isaac does, we don't see a wrestling match. The only answer I can think of is Isaac knew that his father loved him. It had been proven to him that his father loved him. Think about how much Abraham must have done and how much he must have showered his blessings on Isaac. Think how long he waited for this son. Think how much love he had for Ishmael, even though Ishmael was of the flesh. He loved Ishmael. But now when Isaac came from him and Sarah, the promise from God, I can guarantee you that boy was spoiled. He was spoiled. 
but he wasn't spoiled rotten. But when Isaac went to lay on the altar, he didn't wrestle because he knew my father loves me. He's proven it. Even though this doesn't make any sense, I don't know what he's doing, he loves me. He's able to lay still. I'm not going to tell you to go lay still. I'm going to go tell you, let him love you first. And realize that in order to present our bodies living in holy sacrifice, we have to accept that we are already perfect. It's true. Sacrifices had to be blemish free. You are. And we are. That's a hard one for people to accept. You're dead on. But I can tell by our silence of, I know that's true, but I just don't feel that. <laughs> It seems so haughty, doesn't it? It seems haughty. It, it seems contradictory to what we've been taught. But see, for so long we've had the scriptures taught to us with the emphasis on us doing the work. And I will tell you, even the Bible study that I'm in right now, because they're studying Moses in the Old Testament, it's all about obedience. Mm -hmm. And and I still see it through the eyes of Paul, through Christ, in that that's who Moses was depending on. He was depending on the spirit that was there, that would, that made the law, and not. It's, yeah, this is this has been a tough sort of study. Be <laughs> pray for us. Father, again, I thank you for the fact that uh, each time we just keep ending back in the lap of your love. And Lord, we don't want to ever just assume that because you love us so much that we can do whatever we want. You're as a loving father going to discipline us. Your word teaches us in Hebrews chapter 12 that anybody that's not disciplined by you is not an actual legitimate son. But Lord, help us to understand that even when you discipline us, it's coming from your hand of love. That you've already pulled out, you've poured out your full wrath on Jesus. And now because of our being covered in his sacrifice and covered by his blood, we have, as, as Allison just shared, we've been made holy. And so Lord, Help us to rest in that. Even though it doesn't feel like it a lot of times and we see ourselves mess up, Lord, at the same time, may we understand how much you love us. And from that, may we respond in obedience out of the joy of knowing that we've been accepted already. In your name we pray. Amen.